I am excited to continue our series that we have been in called Better Days. How many of you know there's not a more appropriate week that we could could continue the series right now to have better days? Come on. And one of the things that I w- I've been talking to Pastor Daniel and, and Christy, my wife, about over the last several days is you have to, to, to be a true New Orleanian, to be a true local, we have to learn how to live with crisis, don't we? We have to learn how to live in kind of a per- perpetual state of going from one crisis to the next. And the issue with crisis is it either makes you better or it makes you bitter, right? But I believe that crisis actually has the opportunity to allow God the Father to direct our paths, to to help us to understand the way that we need to walk with Him and the places that we need to walk with Him in such an amazing way. And today, we're going to dive into this series, understanding that God is using crisis, among many other things, to help us work through the path that we need to take. We're going to look at just one sentence today, Psalm chapter 23, verse 4, part B. It'll be right on the screen uh, for you here. And it simply says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's say that together. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for, Lord, an unplanned Sunday where our locations could come together. Lord, we look at this opportunity that we have as a glass half full opportunity. We're thankful, Lord, that our two locations could be together today and celebrate what God is doing, Lord, in in Saints Community Church. I pray, God, that as we dive into your word, that you would cause us Lord, to walk out of this room different than we walked in. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to defeat the Chicago Bears at 325 this afternoon. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Well, how many of you are parents in the room? Raise your hands if you're parents in the room. How many of you are not parents, but you're excited someday to be a parent in the room? Okay, some of you uh, as well. And I, I want to just approach this talking a little bit about parenting uh, this morning, and I, I want to ask this question for those of you that are parents. How many of you have had plenty of stories of parenting fails? Raise your hands if you've had parenting fails. Come on, help me know I'm not alone in the parenting fails. So we have had some parenting fails. I could tell you many, many stories of parenting fails, but I was reminded this week of one of our parenting fails And I'll I'll just put it on me, not our parenting fails, Wayne's, my, because Christy is a more perfect parent than I am, but my parenting fail, one of them uh, was, speaking of weather disaster, it was all the way back a few years ago. How many of you remember the floods that really, really hit Baton Rouge? Do you remember when that happened? And, And so we... We decided, Christy and I decided, hey, we want to be good parents. We want to teach our kids how to have compassion and, and how to help other people. So we're going to load our family up. We're going to drive to Baton Rouge, and we're going to just pass out supplies uh, in Baton Rouge to people that, that need help. 
I was so excited. I, I got to be honest, I actually felt like, like a really great parent that day. I felt like kind of proud, like, yes, dad is teaching you compassion and love for others. And I know it's all about Jesus, but it's a little about dad too, you know? And, and, uh, and so then we loaded up and we went and we were passing out groceries and all kinds of things. And we partnered with Convoy of Hope. We loaded up our, our minivan. And I was so excited that day to, to really be a good parent and teach my kids what it means to love other people well. We got about halfway into our time, and, uh, and we ran into a friend of ours uh, and somebody that we actually didn't know very well at the time, but they've actually become a really good friend of ours throughout the years. Uh, his name is Pastor Chris Buckle, and he, he had the same idea. And so Chris and Felicity had loaded up their kids. They were doing the same thing, and, you know, great parents think alike kind of thing. And, and so they were in the street doing the same thing, and, and we bumped into each other in a neighborhood. We said hi, and, and, uh, and so we loaded up uh, the car, and we drove away, and, and I drove out of the neighborhood, and I drove out of the, uh, down the street quite a ways, I think maybe mile, half a mile, something like that, and all of a sudden I got a phone call from an unknown number, and the person on the other end said, hey, did you forget something uh, that you, did you leave something in the neighborhood? And I, I said, no, I, we didn't forget anything, and I looked and turned back, like, yeah, no, we didn't forget anything, and Pastor Chris said, just check and see if you have all of your children in the vehicle with you. And, uh, and I turned around, and Libby was not present in the car with us. Now, the worst thing wasn't that we left her. The worst thing was we didn't even realize we had left her. And so, thank God she had my phone number memorized, and she called us, and, and we turned back around, and we went to get her. Now, that story would be bad enough on its own, but the worst part about the whole thing is that we have done this multiple times with not... Libby, with every one of our children, we have left them places. So we have plenty of parenting fails, if you will. We've had plenty of parenting fails through the years, and one of the things that I've realized as a parent is being a parent comes with a lot of responsibility because you have to actually understand that you are there to guide, to correct, to instruct to counsel your kids to stay on the path that they need to stay on to succeed in life. And the thing about children is, many times kids don't know they're about to go down the wrong path, and you ha- we, we understand as parents, because we've lived a little bit longer, that, hey, you're about to go down that wrong path, so we have to use our authority to guide, to correct, to instruct, to counsel, but how many of you know that whole process is not an easy deal, right? We have Libby here who's literally, and I'm not exaggerating, the most wonderful teenager on uh, the planet. She's with us this morning and waved Libby at everybody, and, and uh, I owe her money because I'm talking about her now. But, uh, and, and Libby is amazing, but uh, now we're having discussions with Libby that look a lot different than the ones that we're having with Levi, our two-year-old. And what I told Christy a few months ago was, we were not actually parenting before Libby. We were babysitting before. Now the parenting begins. Now we get to help Libby and Lincoln and someday Levi get on the course that they need to get on. The issue is that my parenting, our parenting is actually imperfect. 
It is actually not always applied that well. Sometimes I hold back authority because I don't want to expend the energy that I need to to actually course correct my children and get them back on the right path. But here's the good news. The good news is that God's authority is perfect. His counsel is perfect. And his instruction to us is perfect. And so God has the opportunity to course correct us so many times on the path that we need to get in. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7 actually says this. Let's look at the screen together. The Lord corrects the people he loves and disciplines those he calls his own. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father. So God actually is a perfect figure for us in helping us course correct and get on the path that we need to get on. His authority, his correction is perfectly loving and it's perfectly applied to our lives. Here's the question. And this is the question that Pastor Daniel and I together want to answer this morning. Let's look at the screen and help us answer the, answer the question. How? How does Jesus guide us, protect us, correct us, and lead us? And the answer to that question is really important because if we don't get the answer right, the first time Jesus has to correct our course and correct our path, we become resentful, and it's when many times people walk away from their walk with God. How does God, Jesus, guide us, protect us, correct us, and lead us? Oh, have you ever noticed that sometimes as a parent, now if you're not a parent, stick with us, okay? Just stick with the analogy for a minute because one day you might be and you've had a parent. Everyone's had a parent at least in the room. But have you ever noticed that sometimes our words and our warnings are not enough? Hello? Come on, parents. You, you've had that moment where you've asked your child, you've pleaded, you've demanded, you've, you've said all you can say, you've warned, you've threatened, if you don't do this, then you know, you know the rest of that line, right? But there comes a time when our words and our warnings are not enough. And so as a parent, we have to kind of look at the tools in our hands, right? And the tools kind of change as our kids go from one stage to another. When they're little, you just kind of throw your hands up in the air and say, well, they don't understand. I don't know. I don't know what to do, really. Good luck, right? When they get a little bit older, you can maybe go to the timeout route. Come on. Anybody a fan of the timeout? Come on. Some of us need a good timeout right now, right? So you can go into the timeout stage, and that's a tool that we can use, or you can take toys away. But as the kids get older, the tools start to change, right? Now, my kids don't have phones yet, and they won't for at least another 20 years, but that's, that's a story for another day. But what they do have is they have a video game system. Come on, somebody. Now, look, when I punish them, I take away their video games, and that is the worst punishment they could have. Listen, we will sometimes say, do you want a spanking, or do you want us to take your video games away for a few days? They will choose a spanking. If, look, they'll, they're slick. They'll be like, well, who's going to spank me, mom or dad? Okay? And look, if it's mom, they'll be like, yeah, we'll take that. We'll take our lick. If it's me, they're probably still going to take it, just not, not quite as eagerly, right? A little more reluctantly. 
Look, I think I could ask them, like, do you want us to take, like, three of your toes or the video game system? They would choose whatever alternative, honestly. So the tools that we use kind of change. And, you know, as many of you know, I, I worked in New Orleans public schools for six years, and that took off about 20 years of my life, I believe. But for those six years, it's, it's different when you're disciplining other people's kids. Hello? Like, I know what works with my kids. If, as a teacher, I had like 400 kids in the school, and so some things work for one kid but not for another. But I developed a very intricate tool belt over a few years. And my, one of my favorite things, like a very basic tool, was just to move kids. I would move them away from their friends. How many of you know that's a punishment? In middle school, like we're talking about middle schoolers. You move me away from my friends, you mess my day up. I would do that all the time. That was one of my favorites. If that didn't work, then, you know, there was detention or lunch detention or after school detention or all these fun little tools as a teacher that we got to use, right? Any teachers in the room? Come on. Come on. You, you know you enjoy those tools, teachers, if you're here. So, but one of my very favorite tools, it probably bordered on cruel and unusual, um, but it was, it worked. It was effective, y'all. So you use the tools that you have that work. So many times I, I would kind of get nominated to run the lunch detention room. I don't know why I always got nominated to run the lunch detention room. But if a kid's already in lunch detention, how many of you know the tools that you've used up to that point did not work, Right. And so sometimes you would have those lovely children in lunch detention acting a fool, right? Uh, in there cutting up, doing all kinds of everything you can imagine. And my very favorite cruel and unusual tool as a teacher, I'm not a teacher anymore. I, I, I think there's a reason why. But what I would do was I would call their parent in lunch detention, right? In lunch detention with like 20 other kids in the room. But I would put it on speakerphone. Yep, I would put it on speaker, and I would give the, the worst account possible of, of what the child was doing. I would turn it all the way up for the rest of the class to hear. How many of you know I'm setting an example, right? And as the parent starts yelling, sometimes there would be some vulgarity that would come across the line. I, I, you know, I apologize for that. Um, but as they were yelling at their kid, I would make eye contact with the other two or three kids that were acting some kind of way. I'd be like, you're next, sucker. Mess with me. And I don't know, it was just it was a great tool. I kind of missed that a little bit. But, hey, the reality is God has some tools as well. And we're going to look at two of them specifically today in Psalm 23, verse 4. It says, your rod and your staff, they do what? Hmm. Rod and staff, discipline, we think, automatically we think discipline, but interesting, it says they comfort. Now, the rod was the instrument that the shepherd would use to, uh, to inspect, to correct, and protect. That rhymes, so you can remember it, right? Hey, come on, I'm trying to help you all out. The, the rod was the tool that the shepherd would use to inspect, correct, and protect. So every morning, the shepherd would go out to the sheepfold, and they would let the sheep out one by one, and they would use the rod. They would touch each sheep, and they would say, yep, George is here, Claire is here, 
Herman is here. I'm just making up sheep names. I don't know if they had names or not, but come on. They, they would count them one by one as they would exit the sheepfold and begin to go out to the pasture every morning. They would do that every morning. And then in the evening when they would come back to the sheepfold, same thing. The shepherd would be at the gate, and he would count one by one the sheep as they came back in. And, and he was taking inventory, right? He was inspecting the flock. Are you all with me this morning? Say, yeah. Now, guess what? If one of the flock was missing, we, we know in the New Testament that the shepherd was the 99 to go after the one that was missing. And so as, as they would inspect the flock coming in or out of the sheepfold, if one was missing, guess, guess which one was getting some individual attention? The one that was missing, Right? Can I tell you this morning that God has an individual interest in this one and this one and this one and you and you and you. There's an individual interest. And guess what? God is keeping track of you. He's inspecting the condition of the flock. Can I tell you that you have God's attention today? That as he looks over the flock and he inspects how you're doing and how this one's doing and how that one is doing, you have the attention of God himself. He's inspecting the condition of the flock. How many of you are thankful that God is paying individual attention to each and every one of us? Isn't that kind of amazing to think about? So the second use for the rod, the rod would also be used to correct. And, and sometimes... Correction is just gentle, right? Just a gentle correction to get the sheep back on track. And, and I imagine this kind of like Australian outback, right? And the, the shepherd would take the, the rod and he would use it kind of like a boomerang or a, an object that he could throw. And if the sheep were veering off track, how many of you know sheep like to veer off track? How many of you know we are the sheep that like to veer off track? If the sheep were veering off track, the shepherd would take the rod and he would just toss it to startle the sheep away from the danger that they were going toward. Maybe it was uh, uh, maybe some poisonous plants that they shouldn't eat or an area uh, of terrain that the shepherd didn't want them to go into or they were just veering off from the rest of the flock. The shepherd would toss it, and I, I picture my dog, if I toss something, my dog's not paying attention. He jumps. He's spooked, right? The sheep would spook, and they would come back to the flock. And so the shepherd would use the rod to provide a gentle course correction for the sheep. Now, think about this. A parent that provides discipline is acting in love, right? A parent that fails to provide discipline is being neglectful, right? Think about it in this way. A God that sees you headed toward a ditch and does nothing, how many of you think that seems strange? Sometimes God just throws the rod and says, hey, I didn't whistle very good. Can't whistle very well. I wish I, wish I could do it. He just throws the rod to get us back on track. So that was the second use of the rod. It was used to inspect. It was used to correct. 
And the third use of the rod is it was used to protect. And, you know, back in ancient days in Israel as a shepherd, they didn't have a 22 rifle. So when the bears or the wild animals would come for the sheep, all they had was a club. I don't know. I just kind of get this image of shepherds. They were probably pretty rugged people. Hello? Like, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to take a bear on with a club, right? But they, they would use the rod to protect the sheep, to beat any wild animals away. So the, the rod was used to inspect, say inspect, to correct, say correct, and to protect. Have you ever noticed that many times we think we know the best way to go for ourselves? That we oftentimes like to lead ourselves. Am I alone in, in that? Or is there anybody with me that would say, many times in my life, I think I know what's best for myself. Hello? Proverbs 14:12 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. God, our shepherd, uses the rod to inspect, correct, and protect. Now, the second tool that God has that we read about here is the staff. And the staff, if, if you kind of picture a traditional shepherd's crook with the rounded top, that's what it's talking about with the staff. And the staff served really as the shepherd's guide to find the right path and then to keep the sheep on that path. So the, 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 the I'm sorry, the staff, was what the shepherd used to find the right path, right? It's good to know where to go. But then also he used it to help keep them on the right path. So imagine the, the terrain in Israel. It's very rugged. We've talked about that throughout the series. There's mountains. There's valleys that are filled with treachery. And, and really what the shepherd would do with the staff is he would kind of use it to check the, the terrain to make sure it was stable, to make sure that the sheep could pass over the terrain. So that was one of the ways that the shepherd would use the staff to, to make sure that the sheep were going along on the right path. How many of you are thankful for a God that helps lead us along on the right path? How many of you have ever thought you were on the right path and God showed you that there was a different path? Well, come on now. I remember... Many years ago when I was graduating college, not that many years ago, okay? When I was graduating college, I was preparing to graduate from college. And I, I, went, to, I went to undergraduate to become a teacher, right? I told you a little teacher's story. How many of you think that was meant to be, right? Well, uh, my guidance counselor back when I was finishing college apparently didn't because uh, at that time where I lived in Illinois, um, some of you know, some of you don't. I've got a past. I've got a criminal history. I know it's crazy. Okay, you couldn't imagine today. But as I was getting ready to begin as a, uh, as, as a graduate assistant teacher, right? Te teacher, like last semester, right? As I'm going to finish college and I, I'm going to be a graduate assistant in a classroom, guess what they told me like, two, like maybe two months before that semester started? Oh, by the way, you have a, a record, 
And in Illinois, like what you have on your record, don't ask me what I have on my record. What you have on your record, I'm just kidding. I'd tell you later, just not right now. What I had on my record actually disqualified me from being able to teach. I, I was like, y'all, I was, start, I was getting ready to begin student teaching. How many of you know that's like the last semester of college as a teacher, right? I have a Bachelor of Arts in English. Do you know what you do with that if you don't teach? I don't either. You, there's not much. You go to graduate school, okay? So I was literally about to begin student teaching. All of a sudden, the rug got pulled out from under me. I couldn't student teach because of my criminal history. So I'm like, well, okay. I'm going to go ahead and finish my degree because I'm, I'm close. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to finish. How many of you know God wasn't caught off guard that day? I, I, like, I look back on that, and I was really tripped up and caught off guard, but God wasn't caught off guard. And really what God did was he used that to get me on a different path. And the path that he got me on was he, he, he was dealing with me about serving as, as a minister and, and beginning to preach. I didn't really want to do that at that time. But God did whatever he needed to do to get me on the path that he had for me. And so through those circumstances, I actually began serving as a youth pastor and began working on credentialing. And, and long story short, I became a pastor. And then God told us to move to Louisiana and flip the script. And, like, the standards in Louisiana are different than Illinois, okay? In Louisiana, they're just like, uh, do you have a pulse? Okay, you can teach. Oh, we're not worried about your record. No, no. Not worried about that. Get on in there. Good luck. <laughs> Try that phone trick. It works. So long story short, like the path that I thought I had, that I, that I was moving on, got sw switched, flipped. Then we move here. It gets switched, flipped. Again, I begin teaching. And then six years later, God asks us to plant our second location. Crazy, right? How God leads us, how he guides us. Sometimes God needs to shut a door like with no doubt so that we will walk through the door that he has for us to walk through. I was stubborn like a sheep in that situation. I, I was fighting the call of God on my life. And I was like, ah, God, that's, that, that's really not for me. I'm going to teach. And he was like, yeah, okay, sucker. You're going to do what I say. And so God uses the staff to check the, 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 the path. Then another way that he would use, the, the shepherd would use the staff, is they would use it to apply pressure to the side. Imagine a huge flock of sheep and you're, the shepherd's on one side. He would apply pressure to the sheep on that side to make sure that he, the sheep knew that the shepherd was there. And he would also use it to kind of steer, right, to, to guide the flock to keep them on the right path. And then finally, if you think of the image of, of that staff, it's got the big hook thing on the end where you just pull them back, right? Well, sheep are kind of notorious for being short-sighted and kind of led by their stomachs. Come on, somebody. Anybody identify with that? Yes, Lord. I'm led by my stomach sometimes. And they'll sometimes do anything for more pasture to graze on, including... Lose sight of where they're at and walk straight over boop, the side of a cliff. And so that, that other end, the shepherd would use that end of the staff 
if needed, to rescue a sheep out of danger, to pull them up by the neck. Man, I can identify with that analogy. God pulled me up by the neck out of danger so many times in my life. And so the, the, the staff was used to lead the sheep on the right path and to keep them on the right path. Now, the truth is some of us have a misunderstanding of God's authority. And maybe you're here this morning, you're hearing this, and you're not a Christ follower yet, and, and actually your experience with authority has not been good. You, you've had experiences with authority, whether it be a parent or a teacher or maybe even someone in the church, a family member, a boss, and your experiences with that authority figure have, have leaned more towards abuse and control instead of guidance and protection. If that's you, I just, I just want you to know I'm sorry that, that you've experienced that. And I want to assure you that you can trust the authority of Jesus. That he has our best interest in mind. That his authority is actually not scary at all. It's actually comforting. It's actually an authority that we want to yield to because the good shepherd doesn't use his authority to beat the beast. He uses it to instruct, to correct, to protect, to guide. The correction of the shepherd is for the benefit of the sheep. We can yield to the correction of the good shepherd because that correction is actually for our benefit. How many of you know the good shepherd is for you? If God is for you, who can be against you? He, he shepherds us in love because he's actually on our side. He actually knows the best path for us, and he wants us to get where we need to go more than we want to get there. We can trust his shepherding. Here's what Jesus, our good shepherd, does. He protects and corrects. He protects and corrects. He guides and he defends. He guides us and he defends. He's working on our behalf. Here's, here's what else the good shepherd does. He saves us from danger and he's patient with the sheep. He doesn't abuse his authority in our lives. Next, he's authoritative and loving. These things seem like a contradiction, am I right? Authoritative and loving, that doesn't make sense. He's patient and, and defending. He corrects and he protects. Like, God can actually do all of those things as our shepherd. As parents, we fall short. As teachers, we fall short. But we can trust the correction of God because we can trust the character of God. Amen? We can trust the character of the shepherd that holds the rod and the staff. The rod or the staff, because we can trust the one who has those tools. Authority in the wrong hands is a bad thing. But authority in the right hands can bring incredible correction to us. Now, so far, you're sitting in, in the audience today, and you're going, man, we're talking about a rod, we're talking about a staff, we're talking about tools used by a shepherd back 
hundreds of and thousands of years ago? What are God's modern day tools where he corrects us and guides us and instructs us? Because how do I actually apply what you're saying to my life? Because, man, so far in my Christian journey, I've never had God actually throw a physical rod at me. Hello? So far in my Christian journey, I've never felt the, uh, the shepherd's staff against my side taking me to the right path. So this morning, I want you to get out your notes as we bring this thing to a landing, and I want to talk about two things. The first thing is, I want to talk about the modern-day tools that God uses to actually course-correct us. And I also want to talk not only about those tools, I want to talk about the attitude that we have to have for those tools of God to work appropriately in our life. So here's the tools. Let's look at them together. The first tool that God uses is God's Word, the Bible. The Bible actually represents the rod because as the rod is thrown, it actually steers us away from sin and it draws us closer to Jesus and back to the flock where we belong. I want you to understand this morning that most of our modern day uh, view of the Bible is that, we, that the Bible exists because it's full of God's promises and we've got to claim those promises. I have to tell you, that's only 50% of the equation when it comes to the Bible. The Bible is not just where we proclaim the promises of God, it's also where we accept the correction of God. It's not just about name and claim the promises of God that are in his word. It's about reading the Bible through the lens of, I have to allow the Bible to correct me. I have to allow it to, to, to swing me back to where I belong, to steer me away from sin, to steer me away from a relationship that I shouldn't be in, to steer me back towards understanding God's will for my life. The Bible is not just a place where you get to proclaim the promises of God. That's only half of it. The other half of it is the, the word of God is used to course correct us. In fact, let's look at this verse together. Psalm chapter 119, verses 67 and 68 says, I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. You are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. The word of God is used to course correct us. The second thing, that God uses to correct us and, of course, correct us is his community, God's community. I want to talk for a second about what actual community looks like because many of you think good community is making sure that the coffee is served in church and that we smile and wave at each other and that we have greeters at the door. The kind of community that the Bible talks about, there's actually a word for it. It's called koinonia, and it's actually fellowship that is based on the, the Jesus Christ, and it's also based on helping us spur each other on to good works. In fact, I think that the best kind of correction that we have to be willing to receive is from those people that know us best and love us most. So I'm encouraging you to be, not only be in a small group that you have to attend, I'm also encouraging you to engage in that small group and to walk into that small group every week with the attitude of asking this question, what are my blind spots that I have in my life? What do I not know that I don't know? Because how many of you know we don't know what we don't know, right? 
And many of us walk along in our lives perfectly okay with not knowing what we don't know about ourselves. But if we're going to grow and we're going to mature and we're going to develop a godly, mature, biblical faith, we've got to be willing to lean in with God's community to the blind spots that are in our life. Listen, what would happen? How would our communities look? How would our marriages look? How would our influence at our workplace look? How would our reputations look if we walked in with the approach to God's community of, of you have the responsibility of helping me see the blind spots in my life, and I have the responsibility of helping you see the blind spots in your life? How many of you know a few years of asking those questions of each other, our lives begin to look a lot different, don't they? God's community is the second way that he course corrects us. The third thing is God's voice. God's voice. What if we began to lean away from our emotions and we begin to lean in to the Holy Spirit's voice? Some of you say, I hear from God all the time. He tells me whether I'm in a good mood or a bad mood. I hear from God all the time. He tells me, Sometimes that I need to punch that person or want to punch that person that just cut me off on Bell Chase Highway on the way here this morning. No, those are not God thoughts. Those are emotional thoughts. And I am convinced that most of us don't understand that much of our life is actually lived by listening to the voice of our own emotions versus lived by leaning into the voice of the Holy Spirit, by stopping, by pausing and saying, Holy Spirit, you tell me the path. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do with this relationship? What do you want me to do with this job? What do you want to do to build my character? Instead of leaning into my own emotions, which are many times going to lead me astray, I want to lean into the voice of God. John chapter 16, verse 13 says these words. It says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit wants to be used in our life to help us course correct. And listen, if we've ever had a year where God put a pause on our lives and slowed us down long enough to be able to lean into what he's saying. How many of you know 2020 has been that year? Yeah. I almost wonder if God's like, okay, they're not gonna slow down on their own. They're ignoring me. So let's get their attention, as Pastor Daniel, I believe, prophetically said this morning, because once he has our attention, he has our affection, and then we begin to listen to his voice, lead and guide and course correct our lives. The fourth thing that God uses as the band comes is... He uses his circumstances, his circumstances. Now, I want to be clear. This is not our circumstances. These are God's circumstances. These circumstances that God sometimes arranges and sometimes allows for us to build us, to make us better human beings, to make us love each other more, to make us be drawn in closer to him. I want us to understand the sovereignty of God this morning and understand that we, what we really need to do as human beings, as followers of Jesus, is stop yelling at the carpenter. 
because we yell at the carpenter because we say, this is an ugly product, meaning my life. And here's what the carpenter is, is wanting to say back to us this morning. Stop yelling at me. I'm not finished building yet. I'm not finished with what your life is going to look like. I look back at my own life and my own seasons of personal sickness that I have had since we moved to New Orleans. Sickness after one after another after another. My last surgery, hopefully my last surgery is coming up next Thursday where they're going to correct the hearing in my ears. Some of you wonder why I'm so loud. There's a lot of reasons for that, but that's one of them. And I can look and I can say, God, I can shake my fist at God and say, how dare you allow me to suffer? How dare you allow me to go through this? I'm trying so hard to work for you, to fight for you, to reach a city for you, to plant churches for you, to lead for you, and you just want to allow sickness like that to come into my life. But I have to tell you, as I look back at the sickness that I've faced in my life, there has been nothing that has drawn me closer to Jesus than that. There has been nothing that has made me a better shepherd and and created empathy in my life for other people than that. God has used that in my life. So God uses the circumstances in our life. In fact, I've got a little rhyme that, uh, that, actually, let's look at Psalm 119, verses 71 and 72. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Your instructions are more valuable to me than millions in gold and silver. When's the last time that you looked at the Lord and said, thank you for suffering, God. This is really good for me. This morning, I've got a little rhyme here that I thought maybe could help you memorize what God wants to do in your life this morning. If you could go ahead and throw that up. The next slide. I'm going to read the first part, and then I'm going to ask you to out loud say the, the second part. God's word. God's community. God's voice. God's circumstances. Okay, that was a good practice run. I want this to get in your heart this morning. And I want you to view it as you say it as God has my best interest in mind. God has a path that he wants me on. God uses these tools in my life to course correct me, to guide me where I need to be. Let's say it from the depths of our heart this morning. Okay, go back to that last slide. God's word. God's community. God's voice, God's circumstances. One more time with all you got, God's word, God's community, God's voice, God's circumstances. Do you believe that this morning? I believe that these modern tools that God wants to use in our lives are instruments of correction. But I want to talk about the way that we have to receive that correction. 
I'm going to talk for a few minutes this morning about your attitude. Your attitude. How many of you, anytime someone comes to give you some feedback to correct, to course correct you, how many of you go, I'm so excited for this negative feedback you're giving me. I know it's for my own interest and it's for my own good and you're changing my life and making me a better person. If that's you in the room, can I get your telephone number because you're gonna, you may end up on our staff someday. No. We look really no different than children look when it comes to correction. We buck it. We refuse it. We get defensive about it. We say, that's not true of me. You read that wrong. That, I, I, you know, and, and how many of you have ever read the Bible and come to a verse and argued in your heart with that verse? Come on, raise your hands. All the time. It happens to me all the time. Like, that can't even be true. I got to look at the context. That's not the way I'm reading it. God, you're wrong. The Bible's wrong. Okay, I'm wrong. See, the way that we receive correction is just as important as the way God gives it. We have to begin to begin to have a posture that is not defensive, but approaches correction with humility. In fact, let's be willing to ask ourselves some very humbling questions this morning. Here's some humbling questions that we've got to ask ourselves. Are my responses to correction draining? Now, that not only means that they drain you, that means that they drain whoever is giving them to you. I have people in my life, I'm not going to tell you who, but when I have to correct them, I know this is going to be a really long conversation and it may not be received very well. That's draining. What if we begin to live with the posture of notes, pen, paper, phone in hand, Yes, I want to get better. Help me grow. Help me learn. I don't want to be a draining person when it comes to correction. I want to get better. Here's the second one. Am I humble? Willing enough to accept help. Thirdly, can I submit to the good shepherd's guidance when I don't agree? Let me give you a secret. Submission isn't actually submission until you don't agree. Fourth, Do I believe that his correction is done in love with my well-being in mind? As you ask yourself those questions and you look at the tools that God wants to use in your life, we haven't talked much about the end product because the end product, the psalmist, David, the shepherd actually says, the rod and the staff, they what? They comfort me. So instantly you... You picture, because of our English language, you picture this word of, yes, God's rod and God's staff are like a teddy bear to me. It's like, a, a, you know, God's given me a bear hug when he, when he corrects me. But the word comfort in the actual Hebrew language that we translate it from is not actually the way that we view the word comfort. The word comfort is actually, in this original language, it meant strength. It actually means that you get stronger as you listen to God's correction in your life. 
Let me help you remember this. Flex a little bit. Just go ahead and flex. Okay? All the dudes, like literally dudes all over the room, like, I've spent my whole life doing this in private. Pastor's given me an opportunity in public. Just flex a little bit. Look at your muscle. Don't look at mine, please. Look at yours. And say, God's comfort is making me stronger. God's comfort is making you stronger. Just flow with me, guys. Just go. His comfort is making you stronger. Some of you have had some things in your life that have had to be course corrected this year. Some of you right now, I can look into your eyes and I can I can see that some of you have been try, God has been trying to course correct your life through his word, through his community, through his voice or through circumstances and you've spent the last decade fighting this. I got news for you. He'll keep doing it. He always wins. My dream this morning is that we would walk away with open arms saying, God, guide me, correct me, inspect me, protect me. My whole life belongs to you. You can take me on whatever path you choose for me. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads across this room. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, at the bottom of all of this, Pastor Wayne, I I actually don't have a relationship with God that looks like what you're talking about. I don't have a relationship with God where I'm reading his word and it's correcting me. I don't have a relationship with God where I'm, you know, in a community like that where it's helping me. I don't have a relationship with God where I'm actually tuning my ear to listen to his voice. I don't have a relationship with God where I view my life through the lens of him arranging circumstances to, to correct my life and make me better. You could say at the end, at the bottom line of it all, I actually don't know if I have a relationship with God that is that personal. And this morning, I I need you to understand that this has to go far past church attendance. It has to go far past religion. It has to go far past any of that. And it has to go into a state where you are actually walking, daily walking with Jesus. That doesn't happen because you try hard. That happens because of the suffering and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus' perfect life, his gruesome death, and his incredible resurrection. All you have to do is say, yes, I accept that into my life, and I want a personal relationship. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to leave this church understanding that I have a personal relationship with God so he can guide my path and course correct me when I need it. 